Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the Danger Room X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. We are here today to discuss Uncanny X Men number two hundred and sixty-nine, the October nineteen ninety issue, on sale August seventh of nineteen ninety. Cover price of dollars from titled Rogue Redux. Yeah, it's all rogue all the time. It's an all rogue, all Redux issue. On the cover, you've got Rogue. She's back, Rogue versus the original Ms. Marvel, and you have like a a zombie messed up Ms. Marvel, and they're fighting. She's got really nice hair for a zombie. It's it's good hair. On the bottom, it says uh, "Guess Who Wins," and it's a headshot of Magneto, which feels like a copy and paste of <laughs> X Men two fifty whatever the X Men cover is, where they had like. All the various stories converging, 252 or 253, if you remember that one. It's like the first Mir Island uh, entry. It's kind of a weird thing to have on a cover. Like, I don't know. Why is that even there? <laughs> I don't know. It has nothing to do with the image that's going on. Um, is anybody buying the issue because there's a Magneto helmet on it? Oh, guess who wins? Must be Magneto. Just feels like it kind of ruins the 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 artwork. Well, and since it's just his head, it's like, hey, it's, it's the Magneto symbol. When you see this, you know Magneto's in it. I guess this is the first time ever using it, really, <laughs> and possibly last. J- Jim, well, I feel like this is the same cover as well, not the same. I feel like it's the same drawing of Magneto's head. Was it just the head then, or was it attached to a body? I don't remember, but it, <laughs> now i got to look. Um, I, Jim Lee drew that cover, so it kind of makes me wonder if uh, it was his idea to throw it on there, of like, ooh, this will get people in, or if somebody later on was like, hey, you should stick Magneto's head on the issue. Magneto sells books. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we putting it there? It would go really nicely inside the Spider-Man box. You know, I'm completely wrong. It looks nothing like that issue 253. But it reminds me of something. In okay. issue 253, you get the whole Magneto bust. His face is not completely blacked out. Um, I don't know. It feels like it should be either in the little Spider-Man box or the UPC, uh, or it should be in the top left. It should be in the top left. It should be in the little Marvel box. And it shouldn't say who... Guess who wins? It should just be there. I wonder why they put Magneto's face in there. That's weird. I could say guess who wins, and it could just be like underneath the she's back rogue versus the original Miss Marvel, guess who wins. But well, honestly, you don't need guess who wins. It's a misdirection, Adam, because you see in the foreground this big battle between Rogue and Ms. Marvel, and then large Texas says guess who wins, and it's a little picture of Magneto. That's weird. Inferring that don't even buy this issue because Magneto wins. <laughs> Something's not right. <laughs> it It's weird. It feels way out of place. You don't need Guess Who Wins. I mean, I guess if you have the Magneto helmet, you have to have Guess Who Wins because if it was just a Magneto helmet floating there, it'd be even weirder. <laughs> um, I disagree. If you're going to have She's Back, Rogue versus the original Ms. Marvel, which arguably I don't think you need, I feel like you can have Guess Who Wins. And no picture of Magneto. Well, I'm saying you can't have the opposite. You can't have just the floating head of Magneto without (laughs) 
the the words guess who wins otherwise it's just like why is there a floating head of magneto there yeah uh, i don't know adam you have to have some sort of test to ex- text to explain why there is a floating magneto head <laughs> i say get rid of it altogether. i don't know i wonder if uh, Jim Lee had a design where he's like, "All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna draw Magneto sort of in the background, kind of overseeing this fight." But then when he got done, like all the perspective and scale was wrong, so he's like, eh, "Guess who won?" <laughs> I don't know. Or we just need a cover, any one X Men cover where it's just random heads of mutants, and that's Has it. Has anyone ever discussed the random head on this cover as much as we just did? I feel like we hold the world record for that discussion. Finally. In a recorded podcast form. <laughs> At least I championed something. <laughs> Anyways, um, minus the Magneto head, that that um, probably pony up and buy this t-shirt. That's a classic Jim Lee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely get a like, hey, what's happening here? But that's okay. It does. I do feel like they have to say the versus the original Miss Marvel because otherwise it's just rogue fighting a zombie it, yeah in a ms marvel costume but it ms marvel's sort of been out of the picture for a few years now yeah plus nothing sells comics like she's back right um gambit he gets his little head up in the little marvel box he's on the team now didn't you read x-men annual number whatever that was i don't know that anybody's been like hey gambit you want to be a part of the team I'm just here. Also, about that, I don't think we ever really talked about that. Isn't there some like debate about whether or not that's his first appearance? Because I think maybe it was published before the other issue. Isn't that a thing? The annual? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I'd never heard that before. I can look it up. I feel like there's a like a caveat, like whatever issue that is, is his first, I don't know, appearance in series or first adventure or, or in canon appearance. But the annual hit the shelves first, but still the annual is not worth all that much. So that gambit issue was June 19th of 1990. Mm -hmm. Um, Remember that. Okay. June 9th of 1990. And yeah, you're right. X-Men annual 14 was May 29th of 1990. So you nailed it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it matters because I think the annual is not worth anything <laughs> and that issue is worth something. But I feel like people, or at least I've seen it called out. Gamma doesn't actually say anything in that issue, so it must have gone <laughs> over people's heads. Uh, well, it's Storm's back and she's a little girl. What's going on? It's before the entire Storm is a little girl arc. Yeah. Like 265, 266, which is the first appearance of Gamut. So, okay, it's... It's one issue before. You know, publishing snafus. I think anything goes when it comes to annuals. Yeah, I don't think anybody really cares, but that is odd. Anyways, uh, we open up this book, and in very un fashion, it is not a single-page splash. It is many, many panels and lots and lots of words. Jim Lee appears to be experimenting with layout in this issue uh, to to not a lot of success, in my opinion. Um, there are a lot of panels on every page, and he's trying out some different things, but ultimately it just makes the whole thing sort of confusing and difficult to read because 
there there were a number of times when I read things out of order because the panel layouts make you think it's going <laughs> one way, but it's actually not. Yes. Uh yeah, and I think it's I think it's mostly exemplified here with this first page. I I sort of agree with what you're saying in uh, as we go through the book, uh, but this was the one that kind of called out as a special kind of layout. But anyways, I mean, it's, it's basically the rebirth of, of Rogue. She's uh, back in Australia. Uh, she's going back and forth, I guess, between reliving the events of sending um, Master Mold and herself to the Siege Perilous and being sort of reformed um, and reliving that experience and then showing up back in the outback at their uh, ghost town base. So I thought that everything except for the first panel was a flashback. Maybe. <laughs> I just see her body sort of reconstituting, and then we're cutting to the Siege Perilous, then we're cutting to Master Mold, then some more. But it it also could just be her disintegrating. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I see it either way. Uh, but I, she goes from, like, bones to, like, muscle matter to flesh. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, those the three panels that kind of go from uh, long long width to medium width to uh, portrait tall tall and skinny. Yep. Are uh, I think they're in the present, and everything else is a flashback to where we last saw Rogue, which was forcing Master Mold through the Siege Perilous, and then I had to go back to remember, and it was Dazzler that shot them both through. Dazzler no longer is in the comic. We don't mention that. We don't talk about Dazzler. No, she's off the book. She's off the team. She retired just like Cyclops is, never to be heard from again. It's true. <laughs> uh, we get a little bit more, or not a little bit, it's just a, a retelling of what the Siege Perilous is, what it does for you, gives people a second chance, or in Rogue's case, I guess a third chance, and, and, and I guess all of the other X-Men as well. So this is where I... Uh, expected that the ability to not be scanned by machines would have been undone is through this reforming process. Because we have only just seen Colossus just reappear. We saw Dazzler just reappear. Well, off page, I guess. But here we're actually seeing her like materialize back into reality. So I can only assume that Colossus and Dazzler also did, but Maybe not. But either way, in both of those cases, or at least in Dazzler's case, they went out of their way to say machines can't scan her. So I'm still I'm still holding out that some way they're going to solve that or they're just going to never mention it again. Well, I can tell you, Rogue is definitely on several video screens this issue. Oh, is she? Yeah. I'll point them out as we get to them. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize it until you just brought that up. All as, right. as you were talking, I was thinking back, well, wait. Doesn't she appear? Oh, oh, and then there's that. Okay, yeah. So she does appear several times. Uh, so as long as we're going down the list, uh, Storm, who was not affected by the Siege Perilous, she was sent back to be a child by Nanny, which all that makes sense. She can't be seen by screens. Wolverine can't see, be seen by screens. And Dashler can't. I can't remember. I don't think they went out of their way to say one way or the other about Colossus. Yeah, I don't remember anything specific. But... I don't feel like it makes sense to be inconsistent about your Siege Perilous rebirth and whether or not you can be scanned by electronical devices. Yes, I said electronical. 
<laughs> has Colossus ever been on TV, like giving a, a reporter thing? Like, I, the mutants are all right by me. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Anyhow, she is uh, naked and in the in her bedroom. In Australia. In Australia. It looks like there's, yeah, there's a red, on one chair, there's a red Ms. Marvel costume, and on another chair, there's a green rogue costume. Uh, she sort of goes through and she's like, oh my God, this is my room. Last I remember, I was in New York. Um, feel different, a little pecked. wonder what that means. So she goes to get her clothes. She notices that the TV is on, which is like, somebody's been in here. That's weird. Somebody's been using her shower. We do get some very cheesecake art of her. Being, I mean, this is classic 90s yeah. Playboy, Playmate of the Month style. When she art. first appears and sort of collects herself, she's kneeling, kind of covering herself and definitely pin up, full pin-up mode. And then when she puts her stuff on, she's got accentuated hips and, and chest and everything. It's... Jim Lee's experimenting with not just panel layouts, but the female figure. <laughs> I I actually like wonder like, where where did they where did this develop from? Is this like a comic sort of history, or were they actually specifically like this? I mean, this just feels like Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and onward of of Playboy kind of skinny waist, big bosom, and and just kind of onward and upward. I don't know. I'm just curious. I, I it's not really. I don't really have an answer. I mean, it seems seems fairly obvious, but who knows? Yeah, I'm guessing. You know, whatever you're thinking is probably Jim Lee and and others and other artists probably enjoy drawing the female figure and accentuating the areas that they enjoy looking at. Yeah. Hmm. And it, I guess for the it's nice that for for Jim Lee more so than Rob Liefeld or even McFarlane. These these figures do exist in the real world. Uh, sometimes not, <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, they're fairly realistic of a very specific type of girl. Right, right. Uncommon but real. Yeah. Yep. So yes, yeah, she sees on the she sees on the news that uh, mainly Mystique is dead, which we didn't know. We um, did. All, all we heard was a bang. True. We don't. Still technically know if she's dead because the person that they bring on to sort of make this announcement is Valerie Cooper. And it was Valerie Cooper who came to shoot Mystique. Right. Who knows? Mystique may have gotten out of the trap. She says on TV at this time, the identity of the assassin is unknown, but no effort will be spared to bring the perpetrator to justice. The investigation will be headed by my newly appointed deputy FBI inspector, Jacob Rees. Oh, my God. We know him. We do. He's a minion of the Shadow King, as is Valerie Cooper. Is Jacob Rees a minion of the Shadow King or is he possessed entirely by the Shadow King? Like, is he the Shadow King? This issue made me question how exactly the Shadow King operates, which we'll get to. <laughs> okay. But I, I I thought initially what you're saying, that Jacob Reese was the Shadow King. But then we see some weird stuff happen in this issue that made me just question how, how the Shadow King operates. Okay. Because the girl that was uh, after um, 
what's his face gambit i feel like she was um enthralled or possessed or controlled by the shadow king but i feel like like jacob reese is the shadow king and if the shadow king's personality like left jacob reese jacob reese would like cease to exist even though jacob reese was a person before the shadow king uh, embodied him but i don't know i don't know I, I look forward to you pointing out these these things and i uh, spoilers right after this is uh, extinction agenda and i honestly have no idea how and where the shadow king fits in or if he does i really just don't remember i don't think the shadow king fits into extinction agenda but i also don't remember i think i think the arc after extinction agenda is where we deal with the shadow king and, okay and i feel like because of the uh upcoming leaving of the book chris mm. claremont is wrapping things up very quickly and it kind of shows in this issue we are a number of issues away from the new X-Men series, though, right? Uh, yes. 281? Yeah. And so, we're on, what are we on? Two, 269? Yeah, so I, I, oh, I have a story. Um, real, real quick. Uh, last, last time we met on this pad, podcast, you were talking about <laughs> um, X-Men, the, or uh, Mar- Marvel Comics, The Un told story and you said hey you know whenever we get to these certain points of time in history i I pick up the book and read uh i i picked it up and i went to the chapter that said uh what was it bust or boom boom and bust yeah boom and and bust and i read the rest of the book (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i just like and and i did it in like one sitting i'm a very slow reader it's about 140 page yeah it does it's about 140 pages and, and i think uh, I don't know, four hours, five hours. I, I I read through all of it. Took a break for dinner. Sat back down and and read all the way to the end. Um, so now I'm I'm intrigued, like because I haven't read the first three parts because I think there's a total of four parts, um, including like the Jim Shooter era, which I'm sure is equally fascinating. Yep. But based on my reading of that book, I feel like we're not at that phase. I could which be wrong. Means- well, there's a there's a there's a point in which Jim Lee and and Chris Claremont, Jim Lee doesn't want Chris Claremont in the book anymore. Basically, <laughs> I don't feel like we're there yet. Yeah, I don't think so either. So uh, uh, that's a very long way of saying, even after Extinction Agenda, which is three issues uh, of X Men, uh, we're still a ways away from two eighty one. Um, I don't know. Do you think that the plan was to wrap up Shadow King in the pages of the new X-Men book? When what we read earlier about the whole mutant war thing turning into the extinction agenda thing mm. makes me feel like the timelines are getting crunched. Hmm. Um, and from, from reading the that chapter, it wasn't really Jim Lee that wanted him off of his book so much as Bob Harris. That's right. So it was kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, see, it seems like if, if they didn't know, they kind of had an inkling. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, know Tom, exactly Tom, what was going to happen. Tom DeFalco is still the editor in chief. Well, in any event, uh, yeah, I guess I don't know how any of that works either. I wonder, I don't know. I guess we'll have to read Extinction Agenda and just find out, but I, I just don't recall Shadow King being in there. Uh, maybe he was, or maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Bob Harris is the editor of this book and probably the New Mutants and Oh, he's the X-Factor editor. Yeah, too. I missed that. Because 
like Tom DeFalco was like, you editors just go figure this all out. Yeah, as far as I know, Tom DeFalco did not have an issue with Chris Claremont. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, that that very well could be. Um, so uh, so it, interesting of note, Art T Bear is uh, inking this issue, and it's definitely you can see the difference in his style of inking versus uh, Scott Williams. It's not quite as sharp. Yeah, yeah. When you think of Jim Lee art, I think people are generally thinking of um, Jim Lee and uh, Scott Williams. Scott Williams. Yeah. Anyways. Softer. Uh, so Mystique is dead. Valerie Cooper has announced it. Jacob Rees has been promoted to the FBI inspector. And Rogue's like, come on, X-Men, we got to go. She also mentions on the TV that um, mm. Stonewall and Destiny are dead. Yeah, so she's like, what? What's going on? She's thinking to herself, like, Destiny's a precog. She could have seen the future. Mystique, oh, my Lord. She's like my mom. And so she jumps out of the window, getting ready to take flight when in the air she's like, oh, crap, I don't have my powers. And she falls, rolls with the with the, with the fall, and uh, finds herself at the feet of Pretty Boy. No fair Captain America makes this look so easy. At least seems like nothing's broke, except maybe my pride. But I'm supposed to be pretty much invulnerable. Supposed to fly, too. Unless I've lost the powers I got way back from when, from Miss Marvel. Yep. Um, you know, all of this stuff is like catching you up. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you didn't know all this stuff, now you know. Uh, do you think uh, she references Captain America because Captain America was in the last issue? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. That's continuity, baby. <laughs> yeah. And Pretty Boy's like, I'm Pretty Boy. Here, you want a hand getting up? Pretty Boy's wearing like a Punisher shirt, which I think is just – at first I was like, is this – are we supposed to think this is Punisher? But I think it's just from Jim Lee's days at working on Punisher. He gave a little Punisher shirt. It's a nod to his past. Yeah. Is it – oh, it is a Punisher shirt. It's like he stole a shirt from the Punisher and put like a red circle and cross in it. Very creative. Eh. Way to go, Pretty Boy. I don't know. He's wearing a leather – he's wearing a trench coat. Very 90s. Um, Rogue gets up and she's like, oh my God, these are the Reavers. And the Reavers are more or less indifferent to <laughs> Rogue just showing up. Yeah, they contact Pierce and they're like, hey, guess who just showed up? Pierce, this is Bonebreaker. Uh, she's cute. She's perky. She's Southern with a skunk stripe in her hair. Ring any d- bells? Um, this, this is a very busy page. It was so busy. <laughs> now, Bonebreaker shows up as just a head in Pierce's laboratory. Yeah. A, a nod to the cover of Magneto's head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Pierce is like, I ain't got time for this. Is it Rogue? Yeah. yeah. So kill her. It, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just kill her. Be done with her. You'll notice that Rogue and Pretty Boy are in a screen at the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. So oh, there you go. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I have a question, though. Okay. Couldn't the Reavers' sophisticated computer always pick them up? I didn't think so, but now, I mean, now that you're saying that and putting it into the air, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember. I feel like it was, there's so much we don't know about this place and that technology. But I I don't... No, I feel like... 
uh, uh, Madeline was watching like Dazzler and Havoc run across the plains or is that where Pierce is though? Cause I know I, yes, I agree with you that yeah. in, in the, in the Reavers headquarters underneath Australia or wherever it was, um, they could see themselves on the camera. They never knew why. Well, Adam, um, they were not weird heads though. <laughs> G- Jim Lee, well, that computer was also destroyed, but we also saw that it could repair itself. So nothing's to say it couldn't morph into convenient little Vizzy screens every now or every every which way. Now, the other thing we don't have here is Jim Lee has not yet read the book about movie making and, you know, proper pacing and layouts. So we have no establishing shot of where they are. It is like a close-up of Pierce a mid shot of Pierce and and we have no idea where he's at. He could be right next to them for all we know. And that's true throughout the book. I mean, I didn't <laughs> even, if like, if you missed the caption that says she's in Australia, I thought I first thought rogue appeared in the X mansion and sure. I was like, Oh wait, the reavers, she's in Australia. Yeah. So yeah. Once again, the only establishing shot you have for Australia is her bedroom looking out across some green mesas. Right. Right. It's not like a big wide spread of like, here's where you're at. And then like all the action happens, uh, you have to be told a lot, which makes a lot of sense because as you mentioned in that book, and, and as I read, like some of the artists like took a lot of these cinematography books, read them, processed them, and then integrated them into their artwork, except for Bob Liefeld. Uh, <laughs> um, and it definitely shows here in Jim Lee's artwork that he, he has not, he's not read this book yet. Yeah. Although, you know, it, it makes me wonder if maybe these are done somewhat out of order because I feel like some of them have more of that kind of cinematic scope behind it. This feels like an issue that maybe predates Scott Williams' relationship with Jim Lee and just they ended up putting later in the line. I mean, this could this issue doesn't is not doesn't appear any specific space in the continuity. So it could technically be anywhere within the past, like 12 issues. I give or take. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's one area that sort of connects it in time, but we can talk about it because there's also some discrepancies in that page. Uh, but other than that, you're right. This could have been written and drawn anytime. I don't recall when Pierce went to the hospital and was talking to this woman, Scylla, Miss Markham, Scylla, Scylla Markham, and she said uh, that she would, she was going to die anyway, so. Take her apart and she'll become your killing machine. And we see her again. She's being built into the new Skullbuster because I guess Skullbuster died. I'd say, again, I don't think I even remember that. Um, Did we see Skullbuster die? Uh, I, I'm assuming it's the same issue that uh, what's his face in Destiny died. But uh, I don't remember seeing it. Uh, but his head's right here. So. They're going to put his faceplate, the Skullbuster faceplate, on uh, – wait, is it Skullbuster? Yes, yeah, Skullbuster. Skullbuster Bonebreaker. This says – Skullbreaker, not Bonebuster. <laughs> this says that Skullbuster uh, was attacked – or after Wolverine escapes, the Reavers attack Muir Island where Skullbuster is shot and seemingly killed by Forge. But – when you look at that Wikipedia entry, the name is Scylla Markham. So I'm guessing Scylla Markham carried on the moniker of Skullbuster longer than whoever was killed on Muir Island. Or they came back. I don't know. I also don't know. 
anyways, uh, Scylla, she's the girl that blew up in the airplane. Yes. Yeah, it was blown up by Andrea and Andreas. I also don't... It could have happened. I don't remember him showing up and offering her a second chance, but it may have happened. So we know that this issue definitely happened after all of that stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which feels like it was quite a while ago, but this comic moves so fast. <laughs> 262, 260, 261, 260. That was when we had all the Psylocke stuff going on. Uh, 262 and forward was with the Forge stuff. And then 265 and 6 and 7 was the Gambit and Storm stuff. So it feels like it could fit anywhere in front of any of those. Uh, Your theory might be right on the money because the whole Mirror Island stuff that Skullbuster died on, that Destiny died on, that Stonewall died on. It's like issue 252 or 253. Okay. So, and then there's another reference that we'll come to that sort of feels weird and out of place. So this could have been, could have been put together soon after and just shelved until it was needed. I don't, I mean, it's just a working theory based on the fact that this feels like early Jim Lee. Yeah. I like it. I think, I think you're onto something. Uh, in any event, Pierce is like killer. Um, and I don't, I don't mind this panel or this, this, this page, right? It's half of the page is, um, Lady Deathstrike holding Scylla's face. You see the Skullbuster mask next to it. And then on the other half, you got four panels. Um, I don't know. This is a good layout. So directly beneath, uh, Lady Deathstrike's legs, we've got Rogue on the TV screen and Pierce underneath. And man, that's busy. But, uh, <laughs> it, all good stuff. It's, it's much cleaner than the previous page. Like I can actually make out what's going on. Whereas in the previous page, everybody sort of blends together. Yeah. I'm gonna, yes. I'm going to go with uh, Reaver Australia technology is why you can see Rogue. Okay. Now, until we see her on like some other electronical device. Which uh, we do later in the issue. Okay, good. I want you to point that out. And, and then I'll see if I've got some quick witty response for why that is. Although it might not be a visual. Hmm. So maybe that's... Uh, well, we'll when right. we get there, we'll get there. All right. In any event... So that's cool with it is basically the uh, this the aside here. Yeah, she's. Just, I'm all right. Make she, me a monster. She's down. If it if it means living, then I'll I'll make I'll dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Heck, you are. <laughs> so bone breaker, sure. T- tank tank tread man. <laughs> um, he's gonna shoot rogue. Gets her in the sight of his gun. Does that count? Uh, now I think we're splitting hairs. I feel like <laughs> his gun could have an analog sight, so I'm going to let that go. It is my job to point out every time she appears <laughs> on the screen in this issue. She is. She does appear in his sight, which looks like it has a digital overlay, but I'm going to go with it's an analog image uh, through okay. a scope. I'm going to allow it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> At any rate, he doesn't get a chance to shoot because Miss Marvel shows up. Uh, looking blonder than I remember her is... She always blonde. I think so. I think she was just a lot less curly haired. Maybe, maybe not as much hair. Yeah, maybe. I think Jim Lee likes to draw hair. Yeah. And she's uh, everyone's like who? And uh, she's like Miss Marvel. Uh, Rogue, are you, su- are you surprised? I am too. We got unfinished business. Yeah. Uh, so it's confusing why she's here and why she has Miss Marvel powers and. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that as we go, I guess. And uh, Ms. Marvel tips over Bonebreaker? Sure. And he falls out of his tank treads. 
<laughs> which is sad. Major trouble, boss. She's tearing us apart. Scan identifies her as the original Ms. Marvel. I don't care. I'm busy. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I Like the Skull, Skullbuster? Uh, he is, seems to be far more of a liability <laughs> than any sort of help. <laughs> really, yeah, they got to give him some sort of legs. Every time you see him, he's being knocked out of his tank treads. And I, I told you the story of like when I was a kid, I would make Lego bone breakers. Out of like Lego torso and then like some wheels as the base because I thought it was so cool. And then I talked about exterminators from the year 3000 where this character actually exists in a movie. But I never realized like every time you see him in a comic book, he's just getting knocked over and torn out of his out of his chassis. It makes me sad. Well, it's kind of like Iceman and his inability to freeze anybody. (laughs) You got what you wanted. You're out of my head with a physical body again. You're free. And you and me were quits. Uh, Talk about a busy panel with a lot of words and a lot of similar colors. Um, Rogue meets up with Gateway. And she's like, Gateway, you got to get me out of here. Why won't you listen? I'm going to steal your powers. Now I know how to use your bull bull roar. I'm out. So she kisses Gateway because he's frozen or something like that. so she does steal his power. She feels kind of bad about it. She absorbs his skin color, which I know she does that with Nightcrawler and mm-hmm. Colossus, but that's because it's a part of their mutant abilities. Is this is this always been a thing? Um, we've seen Rogue take on the characteristics of whoever's power she's absorbed, whether they're like muscular, whether they're uh, blue. I don't know if being blue is necessarily a part of nightcrawler's mutant ability i just think it's part of his physiology uh I, i'm okay with it his mutant physiology yeah i just i feel like like she's she's done this before but i've just never seen i don't think she's ever absorbed the powers of like nick fewer well nick fury was white back in these days uh of luke cage hmm. or well she's definitely absorbed Storm's Storm, powers. Yeah. yeah, in the issue, I'm trying to think. Has she absorbed Storm's powers? She must have. I think you're right. This is probably, uh, yeah, probably the only time it's been, well, at this point, depicted where she turns like a different ethnic skin color uh, and not having it be blue or metal. And that's fine if this is a thing going forward, but I wonder if, because I don't, I don't know if this continues either. I'm trying to think if she, because uh, Storm loses her powers protecting Rogue. But she gets shot by Forge's gun. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if. It seems likely at some point that it just, right. Rogue has borrowed uh, Storm's powers. Right. Like some plot where even without Storm's power, she's like, I need your leadership ability and Colossus's metal skin and. Yeah. Blah, 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 to become like the Super X-Man, which they did a few times. But I can't picture or call out an issue where it happened. But in any event, yeah. Uh, Although maybe maybe this has something like I could I could explain this away by saying that she doesn't have Miss Marvel's powers now. And maybe that was overwriting like this is normal. But Mrs. Marvel's Miss Marvel's powers somehow keep this from happening when she has them. I don't know. Seems like a stretch. I'm I'm grasping at straws. Now, 
previous page, Bonebreaker, Bonebreaker? Sure. <laughs> he says, uh, oh, cry in shame, gal's real cute, but when she touches somebody, she steals their powers and memory. You, oh, yeah. You, you yeah. read all that. Uh, yeah. But then he goes on to say, it makes for a miserable social life. Poor kid probably never kissed or ever been kissed. And then we cut to the next page where she gives uh, um, Gateway. Gateway a kiss. And I wonder, like, did they plan that? Yeah, of course they did. Okay. I mean, because the art comes first, so mm. Mm. Assuming, I'm assuming mm. that. Chris Claremont came back around. I was like, ooh, wouldn't it be clever? <laughs> this is a great idea for me to give me a chance to both explain Rogue's powers and plant a seed that's going to come f- to fruition on yeah, the next page. sure. You're probably right. Because most of it is just like gobbledygook of like, I'm saying a lot of stuff that a real person wouldn't say because this might be somebody's first issue of a comic book. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, so she she she, she spins the bull roar, which now, now I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but does Gambit, not Gambit, Gateway have the mutant ability to teleport or is the power really in the bull roar? I don't know. Does she steal his bull roar? She picks Does she it up? leave it behind? Uh, I don't think she takes it. Well, actually, it's it's unclear. How do you go through the thing without taking it? You spin the bull roar really fast, <laughs> <laughs> and then you, I don't know, then like you lasso yourself. She is pushed through the uh, portal by Carol Danvers or Miss Marvel. She keeps saying Miss Marvel. Also, do you think that Gateway is? like frozen uh, by not his choice? Or do you think he's just like, I'm not getting involved because I'm gateway. I don't know. There's, I don't know what gateways deal is. <laughs> like it seems like he's just a plot device who shuts down when Chris Claremont needs him to be something specific. Right. She did, absorbing his powers. She does have a lot to say about him. I'm afraid I'll have to take, uh, Aegeus, both debt and task that much, at least I understand, binding you to this place and the Reaver's service. In your memories, there's so much. How can you possibly comprehend it all? I know I never will. No matter. The bull roar opens the gateway portal, but you've my word, my friend. I'll be back. So again, is the mutant power in gateway or is the mutant power in the bull roar? Yes. Okay. To me, it just seems like if you have a mystical device that is the power, totally fine. But I don't think that makes you a mutant anymore. (gasps) Unless his mutant power is to be able to wield this specific bull roar that has the ability to teleport only if the holder has this one particular mutant ability. We've never seen him use anything else to make a portal. It doesn't mean he can't. Oh, no, Adam. I, I think my explanation is airtight. <laughs> like, they, they are cosmically connected. And and Gateway didn't know he had mutant powers until, as a little boy, one day he found this bull roar in an Australian antique shop and spun it around his head and a teleportation portal opened up. And that then, feels less like a mutant power in a superhero origin. Then... He was like, oh, my gosh, because he, he would speak back in those days. Like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I have the ability to make teleportation portals. So he throws down the bull roar because he's like, this thing's stupid. And he goes and grabs like some nunchucks and he starts spinning those around his head and nothing happens. So then he's like, oh, man, 
He gives the bull roar to his best friend, Rory, and says, Rory, will you spin the bull roar? And Rory spins it and nothing happens. But when Gateway spins it, boom, teleportation portal. Strangely enough, Rory has the power to open portals with any object, but with the bull roar, it doesn't work. Well, the other strange thing is it turns out that Rory lost his legs in an accident and was affixed to a tank chassis and took the name (laughs) Bonebreaker or Skullbuster. And it was partially Gateway's fault that he he got in that accident and lost his legs, which is why he's permanently indebted to his friend Rory the Tank Man's. Rory Reaver. (laughs) Rory Reaver the the Tank Man's uh, uh, service. Okay. So boom, there you go. We solved the mystery of Gateway. I'm Jeremy. Have a good night. (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) Anyways, they, uh, they both hurl their way through the portal. Now, this is where things go off the rails for me. Yeah, the pacing of the book has been okay so far. But once we start jumping back and forth between things, it, you, there never, nothing ever really has time to breathe. And we're just now we're jumping around from busy page to busy page. Um, I don't know what's going on either to, to boot. We got a panel with a whole bunch of aliens where I can't tell A from B. Uh, there's a few things we recognize because we'll see them later. Um, the spaceship I don't recognize, but it, they're in space. Shiar, but it's a cool spaceship. This but, is a nice shot of a spaceship. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and somebody's commanding monsters to search the station, and there's a man with a elaborate golden helmet and crimson cape, who we will see later in the pages of X-Men. I don't think we've met him before, or if we have, it was in the pages of the New Mutants. He seems like he's just like Strife. Okay. They call him Strike Lord. I'm not sure if that's his name. But I don't think this is Strife. No, I don't think so either. But he will be on the cover <laughs> of an X-Men comic coming up. Yeah. And I don't remember his deal. I don't know. He's I, isn't, he, isn't he Professor X or something? I can't remember. Uh, probably. I don't remember, though. Certainly integral to the return of Professor Xavier. Okay. So it turns out that these people are after Lila Cheney. Lila Cheney, also known as Lila Cheney. I can't even say it. (laughs) Cheney. Lila Cheney. Who is is dressed uh, in an awesome outfit, which I feel like uh, Jim Lee's got some pretty solid taste in kind of timeless outfits. Sure. He's he's a fashionista. He's got, he does good hair. He does good outfits. Uh, he does a lot of bomber jackets. Maybe too many jackets. I like jackets though. Um, I don't think he ever met a jacket he didn't like. You're right about the hairstyles though. You, you, I feel like you you never really read a Jim Lee book and you're like, oh my god, that's so 70s or 80s or 90s. It's like okay, that, that hairstyle could work today. Um, and and Lila Cheney, she's got a like a purple party dress on but then she's got black tights green boots and then like a black leather jacket black gloves she looks cool yeah she looks cool she looks i would say timelessly cool this, yes this outfit would work in the 50s it would work in the 90s it would work today yep it's polka dots she gets ensnared by uh a psi web which is why i'm just guessing that is professor x uh, sure that's not a thing that he we've ever seen him do but he does things with psi before the you know, as a as a as a first part. We do know that he met Spider Man once. 
<laughs> and so that was, that's what gave him the idea. Like, ooh, Psy, Web. <gasps> Hold on to that for when I'm in space. We get a note that Lila Shanae did not die in New Mutants number 70. That's that's good. Did we think she died in New Mutants yeah. number 70? We thought she gave her life up to save the New Mutants. Mm. But we knew better. Yeah. Well, anyways, they she, she gets thrown out into space and uh, she's smiling. And one of the alien dudes is like, why is she smiling? Fools, haven't you scanned her file? She's a celestial scale teleporter. If we can't snag her, vaporize the woman before she... Pinked. Pink. Pink-gata. <laughs> P-I-N-K-G-T. Pink-gata. So if you wanted resolution to what's happening with Lila Cheney in this issue, sorry. Plant the seeds. <laughs> there's a seed been planted, but I feel like there's a there's a different way to pace that. I feel like this is an epilogue page. This is fine in the middle of the thing. It breaks up part A and part B. But unfortunately, it also, because part B is so jumpy, it doesn't, it, it just feels like it's part of the jumpiness. If part B was like a solid, like straightforward story, which didn't have a lot of jumping around, mm-hmm. I would be totally fine with this. I agree. I didn't realize until I read this yesterday that part B takes place over the span of a lot of time. I think in previous readings, I just kind of like, eh, okay, Savage Land and okay. I guess it doesn't really have to. What's I that? Mean, does it matter that it takes place over a lot of time? or? I, I just don't think it's very clear. It doesn't probably matter one way or the other, but it's just I think that just uh, illustrates the, the pacing. You sort of don't know what's happening or how long it's taking to happen. Well... What we do know is that Rogue has uh, appeared after going through the the uh, the gate, Gateway's bull roarer and uh, the Savage Land, and she is somehow separated from Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. and she no longer has her super strength or flying ability as she didn't before, and she's kind of living off the land, and she's that's just fine with her. She talks about how she can't absorb anybody's powers because there's nobody around. But I want to know, if she touches a dinosaur, does she absorb the dinosaur's powers and psyche? I hope so. Why not? <laughs> and does she turn into, like, does she take on the physical characteristics of, like, a brontosaurus? You would think so. I mean, I would be doing that every day. <laughs> like, I'm a T-Rex today. Um, and then so she's like, well, Carol Danvers, wherever you are, I hope you're having just as much fun. Carol Danvers shows up on Muir Island and we get a uh, Moira McTaggart and Amanda Sefton, as we've, I don't think, seen them before. Yeah, these are new costumes for both of them. So this is another thing that this all of these things, like you don't get a mention of Young Storm. You don't really get a mention of anything else that's happening sort of post the Muir Island adventure. Uh, and this could just be them being like, I don't know. Uh, Amanda Sefton and Moira McTaggart are going to be evil in a bunch of issues. So write that in. <laughs> and I don't think like we've seen Moira being weird. We haven't seen her in this like gold X uniform with a red cape. We know something's off about her, yeah. which is the whole reason that Banshee left Mirail partially, partially part of the reason. Um, and we knew, we knew that, uh, What's her face? Polaris was being held a uh, prisoner. 
Yeah, Polaris is in the background being held prisoner, uh, and Amanda Sefton is also now corrupted evil, which that's all fine. Like we, we that that sort of progresses that story forward. Uh, but it this could have been written then as easily as it could have been written, sort of in the continuity. Yeah. Um, Ms. Marvel's about to go in for the attack. She's like, last I heard, uh, Ms. Dane, you'd become one of the bad guys. And I, I wonder, does she know that from being a part of Rogue, or does she know that as a part of being Ms. Marvel? Like Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel. When was Polaris a bad guy? Well, when she was, um, corrupted by malice which was issue 200s but by issue 200s carol danvers was binary or whatever her name is in space with the star jammers jamming like 250 that she separated from malice yes well it's in the it's in the muir island issues 250 251 all right again all of this stuff so, so i don't know how this Ms. Marvel would know that Lorna Dane was evil unless she knew it through the eyes of Rogue, which is possible. And she temporarily had like weird Hulk powers where she was becoming super strong. Yeah, but they don't really seem to do that here, but you can't really tell if she's muscular in stature because that's how Jim Lee's drawing her uh, or if he's trying to be like, yeah, she's Hulk-like right now. Yeah, and we, we had suspected that that had something to do with Shadow King's influence eventually was what we decided. I don't, I don't, or at least the, there was the weird thing where men were like, Oh, right. Like gone crazy. Yeah. We weren't sure what that whole thing was about. So we just kind of said, it must be the Shadow King. She's close to Mirror Island. Could be. And I think we get a little bit of exposition about that here. Uh, Ms. Marvel goes to punch, uh, Lorna Dane and Amanda Sefton interrupts and she's like, Oh, you can't do that. I'm a demon. No, she, she's, 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 uh, not punching Lorna Dane. She is oh. uh, protecting or she's trying to get Lorna Dane free because Lorna Dane's like, Hey, these guys are really bad. Help me. And she says something like last time. I remember Miss Dane is Polaris. You'd become one of the bad guys, but something makes me trust you. That's right. I forgot about that little line of dialogue. Something makes me trust you. But if you look at the image and if you take all the words out it almost looks like she's winding up for a punch <laughs> well look i think she punched uh moira, moira she does moira yeah. is falling back yep seems like a thing that she wouldn't do but okay uh amanda jumps in she's like hey you can't you can't punch our people for the record i'm amanda sefton a demon sorceress which i'm so glad she said because i was like who is this woman <laughs> you didn't know i had no idea it was okay. amanda sefton despite once she said it was, I was like, oh, yeah, she's on Mirror Isle. But <laughs> prior to that, like, I don't know this costume. I don't know who this woman is. I'm, like, thinking, like, is this uh, Sue or Trevor or whatever one of those? Oh, yeah. Sharon Friedlander? Sharon, yeah, Sharon Friedlander. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's not, but. No. Uh, and that's when Legion shows up, and he he's wearing, like, a sundress uh, and, like, half of a twirly evil mustache. Which is kind of neat. Stop it. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I didn't mean any harm. I just want to play with everybody's head. And Ms. Marvel's like, Astral Projection. That's Legion. Charles Xavier's son. Who read the files? What's he babbling about? <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm as much of a victim here as 
As anyone, blame Banshee and Forge, especially Moyer McTaggart, the cow. If they hadn't made me use Cerebro to search for their stupid X-Men friends, the evil one would never have found me. None of this would have happened. Now it's too late. When did they do this? That's what I was going to ask, because it feels like a retcon of, like, trying to explain why Legion is doing what he's doing. And, and what they're saying here is... The Shadow King found Legion while Legion was doing Cerebro scans for the rest of the X-Men. Okay, fine. I don't remember. It doesn't really work, though, because Banshee didn't start searching for the X-Men until Polaris showed up. Right. I don't remember. I don't think that that ever happened on on a comic book panel. Because I feel like our first, like, our, we just sort of saw Legion doing evil things, and it made sense. And I think there was even some explanation of, like, he's got all these multiple personalities, and right now the bad one's out. Yeah, which was fine. I don't know why we needed more than that. Well, it, it, it could be your theory of, like, you know, Chris Claremont probably has, like, this 2030 issue Sort of like, oh, we'll we'll just kind of dance around for a while, introduce all these ideas and these stories, and then we'll tie it all together in the big mutant wars. And you know, if if Bob Harris is like, Chris, we're not doing mutant wars. <laughs> Chris might be like, oh, all right, fine. I don't know. Legion used Cerebro, and Shadow King found him. Done. You don't even need an explanation. Shadow King. You just say Shadow King found Legion at some point. And yeah. Just be okay with that. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. I don't need a, I don't need a backstory. I, I, I feel like there's not enough space here. Like there should be, I don't know. There's three panels that sort of do this explanation for us that, that, that tell us that he used Cerebro and that now uh, he is the shadow King and he rules here or whatever. He's corrupted by the shadow King. I feel like we just needed a, a couple more page, not pages, panels. Um, I don't know. Pacing. Something in there that that's like, you know, Legion is innocently hanging out, playing with multiple men. They're playing hide and seek. <laughs> and while he's hiding, like you see a big Shadow King smile cut to this, right? Something simple to sort of explain away everything we've we've seen up till now rather than this. I don't know. I was using Cerebro and Shadow King found me. <laughs> we get um, the other half of legion's mustache appears yep and then shadow king well legion rips his own face off and what looks like jacob reese at least the coloring mm-hmm. is uh is underneath and he says i am the shadow king i rule here please allow me miss danzer to introduce myself and then we get a word balloon and my and you my dear are my latest subject which i didn't see the first time because comics reading I went down to the big rogue panel. Well, it's because that dialogue is on the next panel, which is a transition to the Savage Land. So you naturally are trained to think that that dialogue box is coming out of the character that is exactly above right. in the transition. So that threw me off. It's a nice it's a nice layout though. We get we get a single panel broken into essentially four panels. Oh, of Rogue running around the Savage Land? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, the common comics rules would dictate that that 
and you, my dear, are the latest subject, would go in the panel in which right. the character is saying it. But if, to do that, you cover up uh, a really good – it's a good panel. of. of it's, a, it's a very nice panel. I, I, I think it is Jacob Rees. I think it's a corrupted, grayed-out Jacob Rees. Uh, nose, mouth, red eyes, eyebrows, and that's all you get. Uh, and it's actually kind of ruined with the I am the Shadow King and I rule here. Uh, but I guess they had you to put, say it. You put I am the Shadow King in the previous panel, mm. and then you put I rule here and you, my dear, are the latest subject front and center in between his forehead. Yeah. Yep. That's what you. That's what you're supposed to do. Comics. God. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, Rogue's been here for a while, and this 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 whole like four page or f- four panel thing that you mentioned is sort of a montage of her adventures, of her surviving, uh, swinging away from Tyrannosaurus Rexes, uh, spear fishing. Uh, swimsuit is getting smaller and smaller. The previous time we saw her, it was a it was just a swimsuit, but now it's cut in half. So she's got like two halves. It's become a bikini, essentially. Yeah. And then she's got her torn up X shirt that she had previously uh, over the top of it. It's like she's wearing two bikini tops. Yeah. <laughs> One on top of the other. One bikini is not good enough for Jim Lee. It's it's a cool look. The layers are cool. Come the on. Layers are great. She got a pouch? Yeah. Shh. On only one. So it's cool. <laughs> and then we immediately cut back to Muir Island where... Um, Ms. Marvel punches out Amanda Sefton, goes to punch uh, the Shadow King in the guise of Legion. Uh, and I like the fact that Legion is wearing a sundress. I don't know why. It just, it seems appropriate. I like it too. Yeah. But he, she goes to punch him and uh, goes right through him because it's an astral projection. But then he turns into like this buggy alien monster thing. My province is the mind. I have spent my lifetime, which is far longer than yours, gleefully unveiling its myriad mysteries. As I claimed this boy legion and all the others on this rock, so shall I you. Actually, get rid of all of that previous dialogue about Cerebro and just use this as the explanation. Yeah. Then you don't even need my hide-and-seek corruption As I claimed this boy legion. Done. Yep. (laughs) Oh, Um, the Shadow King did it. It's weird to have the rogue thing inserted in the middle of this. It is. And I didn't really realize it until this read-through. It's kind of weird to go from, like, Muir Island, one panel montage of things, back to Muir Island. It's very strange. But um, anyways, uh, the buggy monster goes into Ms. Marvel's head. And is now, I think so, he's like... Uh, and all others on this rock, so shall I you. Her head sort of explodes in a like a like a yellow like I'm just assuming it's like a a brain. Uh, oh, it's his like nose drill. Yeah, get it. And I don't I don't think it's physical. I think it's all you know logical or or right. whatever mental. But the, the alien does have a nose drill. He does right. And oh, I just realized the alien's head is coming out of. The Shadow King's mouth. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Into Ms. Marvel's head. And uh, that's when he's like, ooh, I like that. Only Storm ever offered me such spirited resistance. Enjoy this victory, child, though it's cost dearly. It 
it's clearly cost you dear. So we do get a reference to Storm, but not that she's young Storm or that she's in Cairo or anything like that. So I still feel like this this could hold true, your theory. Yeah. I like I like the panels where it looks like Shadow King's head is pasted on Legion's body. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of neat. It sort of goes in with this whole floating head motif that's been going on this entire yeah, issue. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so I think you're wrong, Adam. I think the Magneto head is perfectly placed on the cover. You think that the head, the floating head is, is like a theme, that this is like Jim Lee's first theme. This is a choice that he made. He's like, okay. hey, you know what? I've got all these floating heads in the book. I'm going to put one on the cover and it's going to be Magneto. And people aren't going to get it for 30 years. <laughs> and then one day, a podcaster, <laughs> and I don't even know what a podcast is, but a podcaster is going to figure it out. Yep. He's going to blow it wide open. Um, so... Ms. Marvel's corrupted. Lorna Dane's like, gloat all you want, buster. Someday, I'm going to make you pay. Yeah, whatever. I wonder if she does. She didn't even get off the wall. I thought she got torn off the wall, but I guess not. Meanwhile, back in the Savage Land, Rogue has gone to track down Nareel. Do you remember Nareel? Yeah, uh, Colossus's... Girlfriend. Daughter, uh, Colossus's son's mother. Yes. Colossus's baby mama. Yeah. Uh, she's dead, I guess. Well, the village is destroyed, and the sigil that they left behind of their kind of uh, X-shield X, X is is the only thing that's left. Um, we do get a reference to that, a nice little thing, saying, two years back, our time in X-Men Annual 2. Thanks, Bob that, Harris. That our time is different than uh, Marvel time. It was probably like two weeks ago in Marvel time. <laughs> This was a this was a sigil we X Men left, sort of like the Lone Ranger and a silver bullet to mark her passing. These stains are blood. Someone died defending it. Don't want to think who. I wonder if this is sort of closing the book on that weird idea of the X Men leaving their nine pointed mark or whatever it was. Probably. I mean, this feels like a lot of closing and opening sort of things mm-hmm. happening here. Like, like uh, spoilers. He's getting they're they're closing the chapter on the Carol Danvers psyches thing. Oh yes, yep. Uh, she wishes Kesar could be here, but he's not around. Well, who doesn't? I mean, come on. I wish Kesar could be here. <laughs> I wish Kesar was an X Man. <laughs> Every issue. Yeah. Somebody on a busy screen is watching her, and she on a busy screen. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, no longer I, in Reaver's mansion. Yeah. Yep. It even says identity rogue X-Man. We'll talk about who it is in a little bit, but you're right. Yeah. They forgot about that. It's official. <laughs> well, only for rogue for some reason. Although we'll have to keep our eyes open for the next time Wolverine in an X-Men comic shows up on a video screen. What about in the Wolverine comic? I, I don't, I feel like those, unless you can pin it to a time, I, I feel like they, they're like, oh, that doesn't count. None of that counts. This takes place after whenever that was. <laughs> exactly. Or or way before, like way before. No, I suppose all of the Wolverine comic takes place after he's dead. So, so you're right. I guess any depiction of him in a video screen would be uh, fodder for a no prize. Okay. <laughs> which I'm sure somebody earned at some point, or maybe there is a maybe there's like a chart 
do not allow Wolverine to appear on cameras, Larry Hama. <laughs> I don't know. Since the editorial staff is all changed over, all those rules are probably out the window. Well, it hasn't changed over yet, so we'll, we'll keep treat. We'll keep keep keeping keep track. Yeah, keep, right. keeping track. Anyways, um, she keeps talking about the, the whole world's going upside down. It's all nuts. This is the comic trope that I hate. I hate it when people talk out loud to themselves, but I know it's a thing that they do. Uh, everything in her life that had meeting, it's all gone. And, and whoever's watching her, uh, oh, she continues, oh, give me a break. Oh, mean girl, really? You're an X-Man or a wuss. Stop whining right now. This minute. It's a weird thing that you would not say out loud to yourself. Right. This seems like an internal monologue, but. Right. But whoever's watching with big bushy eyebrows is intrigued <laughs> by what he sees. This has nothing to do with the helmet that was on the cover, by the way. <laughs> uh, additional things. Oh, I guess I never really paid attention to these like radar blips, but you've got, what does this say? Uh, you got your unidentified object and you got rogue. RPEC sector 212 vector 707 H2Y yeah, something, uh, just some num random numbers. Rogue and some random numbers, and then contact imminent. Rogue just like, oh, something's heading my way fast. And it's zombie Ms. Marvel. How do, Suga? Remember me? And she punches Rogue. Swallow your soul. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they fight. I, I guess after, oh, they're within their proximity. They, they sort of uh, feed off of each other. So while Ms. So they, they share now a power base. So Storm or Rogue is now strong. She's kind of getting all zombie scaly, but the zombie Carol Danvers is becoming a little bit more flesh colored. Um, as Marvel's like, Hey, uh, we can't, there's, there's not enough molecules for the both of us, more or less. They can't both exist. Right. And, uh, Here's here Rogue is thinking to herself, her face. She's like a walking corpse. Shoot, the same thing's happening to me. And then Miss Marvel does eventually explain it. Haven't you realized we don't possess sufficient life source between us to sustain to sustain two independent beings as one prosper, the other rots, and guess what, sugar? That won't be me. Um and that in the next panel well after after Rogue realized she was rotting, in the next panel she isn't rotting, which makes me wonder if that was just like Jim Lee forgot to draw her as rotting, so they they just wrote it in. <laughs> uh, everything's about to be back to normal, and she looks worse than ever. It's basically narrating the art. Yeah, but I mean, then Rogue is all all messed up, and Ms. Marvel is normal. It seems like whoever is winning. Is the one that is less uh, de lessing de de messing up? Yeah, I guess. And so I'm okay. I mean, not that I had any stake in this whatsoever, but I'm okay with the idea that from out of the siege perilous, uh, these two personalities, these two physical beings, were formed. Uh, and I guess what I. I guess what I don't, I, I like the idea of they can't both exist over time. One of them's got to go, but it, but it also seems like they were but just both just fine until the shadow King, uh, 
affected Ms. Marvel? Well, I think they were fine. Like if, if, if they were living separately, they would both be fine. But because they went through the siege perilous and Ms. Marvel is a part of Rogue's psyche, she has the desire to destroy Rogue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's driving her. I don't think the Shadow King is causing that. I think he's just taking advantage of it. Could be. Because when she first shows up in Australia, she's immediately attacking Rogue. Yeah. So I think it's just she's driven. This whole well, I get that, but the whole zombification thing. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Took time, precious time, almost a fatal stretch, but the Shadow King finally managed to track you down. And once your dust, your power is added to mine, I'll be able to serve him that much better. Can't fight no matter how hard she's draining my body dry. So like I did her. So a little closure there. Uh, talking about, you know, sort of what happened way back there in Avengers Annual number 10. Yeah. Well, except that, as we will learn, this isn't Cara Danvers. Well, no, but. <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly Rogue's guilt. Yeah. Uh, draining you dry. I hope these last moments hurt, Rogue. Uh, I only wish I could prolong it. Battle's over, Sugar. Your story's done. And that's when a shadow appears, as they're both passed out for some reason now. I guess, oh, does he? Does well, she get blasted? Somebody, yeah, somebody blasts Carol in right. the back of the stomach. Uh, in that, my dear, I suspect you spoke more than you truly know. And then we we cut to... Uh, the 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 place where Sauron was held, like does this go way back to like X Men number forty two or whatever that issue was with Sauron and the original X Men in the uh, Savage Land? We went to the Savage Land, maybe. Because this this place, this this um, citadel, looks familiar, but I, I don't remember the last time we saw it. We also saw Sauron in the Savage Land, I think, in like Marvel Tales or something like that, mm-hmm. where he'd like reformed. Maybe he was a, he was he was good. Um, and uh, not related, but we also saw Magneto in this uh, Savage Land for a while, where he was hanging out with the Mutates. That's right. He led the Mutates for a while. So I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up in this issue. Yeah. Uh. So uh, no one knows the Citadel is once more occupied. So I guess Sauron no was one held here. Knows what the citadel was occupied sorry its mechanisms are fully functional rogue wakes up and utters that catchy phrase what happened to me and i wish that instead of what the i wish marvel would have made a comics parody called what happened to me or just what happened no what happened to me but that wouldn't make any sense for for like a what that type thing. I don't care. <laughs> what happened to me? We've seen Blob say it. We've seen Rogue see it. We've seen a couple of other people say, what happened to me? Will we see anybody ever say it again after Chris Claremont leaves? Oh, I think you're right. It's definitely Chris Claremont doing a thing. But I wonder if it's like written above his desk, like, oh, whenever you can, use what happened to me. Yeah. As soon as he got fired and was working over at DC, he had a thing above his desk that said, what happened to me? <laughs> Oh, I work at DC now. <laughs> it's sad. Terrific. Now I'm on some slab. Don't feel so bad, though. I actually feel pretty good. Carol! She wonders where Carol is. Oh, she's trying to kill me. Figured she'd succeeded. But I don't know how I got here. This is 
ineffective, right? It, this is drawn in such a way to be like a mystery. Like, who is this man that we saw on the cover that has a unmistakable helmet and a red and purple outfit and a purple glove? Who could it possibly be? You uh, have uh, nothing to fear, Rogue, uh, from Carol Danvers or myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's happened? Uh, she also says, knows my name. I know that voice. Where is she? I did, child, what I had to do to save a life. Only one of you could survive. Magneto, she shouts. And then he says, I chose you. Now... Is this not the cover of X-Men number one? The cover of X-Men number one? Oh, the, uh, the pose of the, the upcoming yes. 1990s X-Men number one. Uh, maybe. I'm going to look at it. You should look at it. I'm going to. Because it's, it's Magneto. It's a full-page spread. Handout spread. You're surprised he's not saying, I am power. <laughs> he should be saying, I am power, instead of, I chose you. Yeah. I chose you. I am power. Because I am power, I choose you. You too are power. (laughs) Together, we can be power. We are all power. All right. So, all right. It's not quite. uh, The pose in X-Men 1 is his his mouth is a lot more angry looking. It's a a straight on shot. And instead of his hand being like, his hand is like up, like wielding power. (laughs) Whereas this hand is like his fingers are outstretched. I can't look at both at the same time in any event. They're they're very similar poses. Okay. Well, it's it's a nice drawing. Yeah, I'm Hand, hands a little wobbly, but other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah, feel, feels like he's warming up for that cover. Yeah. There's a nice touch like he's grasping his um cape in his other hand. That is a nice touch. Yeah. I just noticed it. It's good. Next, the extinction agenda, first strike. Maggie won't be there, but Storm Havoc, Cable, the New Mutants, and a whole bunch of other folk will see you there. So, I don't remember specifically, but I think Magneto and Rogue are not a part of that story. I think this story is just on hold, and that sort of makes sense with what you're saying. Like, maybe they just had this issue on the shelf, and they're like, yeah, we'll get to that Rogue story at some point. And then they're like... Oh, man, we need an issue right before Extinction Agenda. Yeah, I mean, the, this issue and the last issue both felt like they were killing time to get to their event. Uh, Which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I don't remember how... They both work, let me put it that way. I like both of these stories. And they're they're they, you can't really say that they're filler because they're leading up to something. All right, it's two issues after Extinction Agenda that Rogue and Magneto show back up. And man, oh man, you're, we're in for a treat. Things are about to change. I don't want to spoil too much, but like... Like Kesar on the cover? Well, yeah, yeah, the one with Kesar on the cover. But if you look at this issue and the last issue, like the colors are are uh, out, out, out of control. Outrageous? Yeah. Like, not in a bad way. Like, it's just, like, markedly different. So I feel like we're about to end. Did, wasn't there a, like, this isn't on, like, great paper, but it wasn't there a shift from, like, sort of, like, the soft newsprint to sort of thicker paper? Is that happening right now, or are they still printing on on newsprint? 
They've got the uh, there's so your there's your X Men which is still on your newsprint and then you have your Wolverine which is a more of a premium stuff. Mm. It's still on, it's on it's on nicer paper, but it's not on the glossy stuff. No, the glossy stuff's not for a while. Um, but I feel like there was a shift, and it probably coincides with a price hike. And these are still only a dollar, but I, I feel like I recall a, a time where. They'd sort of done everything that they could from a color and a penciling perspective on the old paper. And in order to get more quality, they had to change paper. Or at least that's what they told us to make us pay another 50 cents. (laughs) I don't know. Truth is, it was totally free. (laughs) Uh, Do you think this last page of this issue where it says Magneto, I chose you, was inspired somebody over at Nintendo who was like, Pikachu, I choose you. Hmm. Probably. Is that a stretch? No, probably. I mean, Pikachu and Magneto obviously are this like similar characters. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I don't, the kid that runs around with Pikachu, totally Magneto as a boy. Mm hmm. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want to go with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks you. Thank you for humoring me. You're welcome. I'm looking at these uh, covers side or this uh, side by side X Men number one and this last page and similar yeah very similar um, the inking and coloring are very different well the the X Men number one's going to be Scott Williams right yeah it's it's Scott Williams plus it seems like it has a lot of different shades of color and that's what I'm talking about like uh, up until now like the artwork's been getting better kind of across all of the comics are, are certainly changing style, but soon we're going to see a huge vibrant shift in coloring. Like I think through extinction agendas where we see that, that change in coloring and then it just sort of stays a, a, as a staple. That's, that's my recollection anyways. Well, we will keep track of that. I'm sure we'll forget. I remember that extinction agenda is very dynamic as far as paneling and layouts and probably color too. I don't remember the colors, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to crack out, well, I don't know. I'm either going to crack out my extinction agenda trade paperback or or read from Marvel Unlimited. You know, I do a mixture of both these days. Like this issue I read from X-Men Omnibus number 1 and uh it was nice. It's the last issue in this collection. And it has a ton of Jim Lee extras at the end, a whole bunch of covers um, that he did for like Alpha Flight and Wolverine and other stuff. Some sketches he did of the professor's new outfit, Gambit, Storm, some characters that I have no idea who they are. Oh, this must just be various types of Gambits. Some early Psylocke design, a random drawing of Guido, some Genosian outfits. It's got some cool stuff. Yeah, uh, we we should. Um, up, I will probably crack out the trade paperback because, as I've mentioned before many times, but I'll mention it again. There's a couple of different editions of the trade paperback. One in which they alter some panels to sort of make the whole thing make sense, a la classic X Men, which I used to have and no longer have. Okay, that's kind of what I was wondering. Uh, it sounds like we'll be reading from the same trade paperback because my current one has the original story as written and then some backup pages where they show the changes uh, in the panels where they either changed like inserted new panels or they just changed some of the word balloons around. 
I have not even cracked that open, so I will be seeing that for the first time. I'm so excited. We're not going to get there next time because nope. we've got we've got some stuff to fill in the gaps before Extinction Agenda. Um, you know, Extinction Agenda was a summer event, so I think we should try to pad out the podcast until the summer. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, that's like twenty episodes between now and then. Oh, at the pace we're going, it's probably like five. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, we, uh, we don't really have any letters, do we? Uh, we got some communique from Andrew Franklin on the Patreon. Sure. I thought I added those to the show notes, but maybe yeah, I didn't. They're here. Oh, oh, they're there. He says, uh, come for the bad crossover tie-in. Stay for the great chats about everything else. It's strange that this crossover took part in the New Mutants Annual and not Excalibur Special. I know Excalibur didn't have numbered annuals at this point, but you'd think Rachel is a big part of the story, so it would have made sense, uh, which, of course, he's talking about Days of Future Present. This is actually three different comments that I combined into oh. one, so that's why <laughs> nice. it jumps all over the place. <laughs> nice to hear your thoughts about this movie, referring to New Mutants, the movie. I'll probably never watch it, uh, and now I don't feel like I need to. I think we, we, we covered it fairly extensively. Our our review was longer than the movie. Which is the way it ought to be. <laughs> I also think we were far more generous than the rest of the internet. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, we kind of liked it. Yeah. So, you know, it, if you're tired of all your cynical movie reviewers crapping all over the new Mutants movie, uh, listen to us. We um, We don't crap on it as much. We pick it apart the way that we do. Yeah. You know, there's there's always that confusion about whether or not we like something, but yeah. we like it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, but I didn't say we loved it. Probably <laughs> never watched again, but I didn't leave it like angry, like, I can't believe they did this to my new mutants. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew Franklin, for all of your comments. And uh, for being a Patreon member. Yeah, totally. We should, we should totally thank our Patreon members because... They give us money sometimes, which is great. We like money. What is this, the Cerebro's Reign of X podcast? Oh, that. Hold on. I don't know. <laughs> I put it in there. Let's see. Just randomly oh, putting okay. notes into our show notes, Adam? This is Twitter. Oh, my God. No, I, I don't know how to use Twitter. So uh, I would have just responded to them, but I don't know how to respond to somebody on Twitter. There's a reply button. So... Yeah, but I don't. I think it goes public, and I don't. I don't. I. I would rather like. I'm more of a private sort of like. Hey, although now we're putting this on the podcast, yeah. nobody listens to this anyway. Uh, the Cerebros who do a podcast, and I think I want to say that they were the they were they were another podcast when they started, and they wrote us. Uh, they were like doing Excal. They were the Excalibros. Mm. Let me know if I got that totally wrong, but. Uh, they said they tweeted for some reason because because Twitter is this universe where people are constantly talking about each other and retweeting each other. I don't know how it works. I only see the positive sides of it. So I, I don't know. I stay out of the politics. <laughs> um, they said that there is no way I'd be doing an X-Men podcast without Danger Room. We pretty much took what they did and applied it to Dawn of X at first. At least. Thanks, guys. So you're welcome. Wow. That's awesome. Does that mean that we should stop doing Dawn of X because they're doing it? I don't know. <laughs> we'd have to do some other Patreon exclusive, which until 
until Chris Chris Claremont leaves the book, we don't have anything really signed up yet. Oh, we talked about doing X-Men Forever, right? We're totally doing X-Men Forever. Sweet. Um, but that doesn't happen until Chris Claremont leaves the book. So No, we'll do – yeah, it'll be like our alternate universe where we'll just diverge, cover – Cover the crap that Jim Lee does. Jim Lee and who who also writes? Uh, Scott Lobdell. Scott Jim, Lobdell. John John Byrne takes over for a while. Oh, that's right, he does. Just just the uh, I don't think he's writing though. I think he's just. I think sp- scripting, like screen playing, scripting. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But at that point, the artists are like, we don't need writers, and they're basically right. writing the the plots and whatnot by by just their layouts, and then scripters have to come along and be like oh my god all right well let's put some dialogue down yep so look forward to that <laughs> it'll be interesting you know with how we've read uh everything that that we've read and sort of gone through uh these these shakeups these revisions these changes in in how the the universe uh is uh the rules and and how it's written about it'll be interesting to see how that all changes as we move into the actual 90s of comics, like 1991. It isn't the 90s until an artist just can't keep up on their book. <laughs> well, that's that's a little bit, isn't it? Because I feel like all of the X-Men books, all of the X-Books make their dates. It's not until they go over to Malibu. <laughs> isn't it when they go to Malibu that they can't make their dates? I'm not so sure. I mean, I mean, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could just be uh, applying an image thing stereotype to their work at Marvel, and I could be wrong. No, I don't know. But yeah, we'll have to I keep track of those to dates. Finding out. I'm kind of excited for the '90s. I mean, at some point, this is when I dropped off of comics. Same. So, I now I'll find out if I was right. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see uh, how long I hung in there, because it was a yeah. bit. It was a, Definitely a little bit. Yeah. And even occasionally there would be like a issue with which had a cool cover, and so I'd pick it up. Yeah. I'd just have a random issue. Yeah. So. At some point on eBay, I picked up X Men one through a hundred. I did not read them all though. Oh, oh, not 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 the original X Men, but the. The, yeah, the rebooted 90s gotcha. X-Men. It was, one through a hundred. Wow, that's impressive. It was one through a hundred. It was under a hundred bucks. I was like, sure, I'll take that. Hmm. All bagged, boarded. Sure. Uh, that's a decent never deal. read them, though. St- sitting in a box in the basement. Sitting in a box. Probably <laughs> in the basement. Perfect. Half my boxes are in the basement. Half of them are in this very room where I record. So it's one of those. You should just take that box and put it back on eBay for under a hundred bucks. I could. Circle of life. <laughs> I, I bet it would sell very quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, folks, um, if you'd like to, uh, I don't know, we've got a little bit of time before we actually do Extinction Agenda, at least one more episode where we we, we, we got to cover some additional material. So it, uh, chime in. Let us know what you're uh, most looking forward to in terms of Extinction Agenda, Extinction Agenda memories. Did you know what was happening? Did you care what was happening? Or were you just in it for the super cool art from the superstars? And you can do that by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, twittering us at danger room go, email danger room at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes, subscribe to us, leave us some stars, some feedback, 
as and all the things that you do uh, on iTunes, or go out to the aforementioned patreon.com forward slash danger room where you can hear our probably not as good coverage of Dawn of X. Uh, probably totally pales in comparison to those Excalibros. But what we have that they don't have, I suspect, is interesting conversation on current movies and old movies and WandaVision. <laughs> Basically, an excuse to talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever's been going on. Like the recent, the most recent episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. The most recent? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the last episode? You would think so. But, Adam, the last episode of Star Trek Enterprise was really oh. a Next Generation episode where they went to the holodeck and watched this, an adventure. Doesn't it turn out that the whole series of Enterprise was just on, like, Riker's holodeck or something? I, I don't know. The last episode... Which I've never actually seen. I've only read about. Me neither. People are like all angry of like, well, this is not the way you end a show. <laughs> but one day, one day, I, I intend to finish Star Trek Enterprise. Really? Yeah. I've only ever seen the pilot. Oh, I suffered through two miserable seasons. And oh, then wow. it got interesting and I stopped watching. <laughs> this is too interesting. <laughs> I want that. I want that boring crap. <laughs> It was so rough, so rough watching those first couple of seasons. And then a thing happens, and I won't spoil it. I remember there being ads for, and now Enterprise discovers for the first time the Borg. And I was like, really? Okay, that's that's weird, but interesting. And I did not watch that episode. That's not the thing that happens that like, okay. like Basically, it was uh, the show was... Uh, bad guy of the of the week just like most all star treks were uh, however uh, i might have this wrong i feel like i've read bits and pieces so i will try to correct you where i can but i'm probably in the dark I, no i was going to say I, I feel like it was on around the time of um battlestar galactica but i feel like they maybe they weren't my point is is that tv at the time, Enterprise was doing their, you know, week-by-week week episodes. Most other shows, sci-fi shows, were doing sort of the serialized uh, episodes. Uh, but at that point, uh, DS9 was over, right? And they had already done the serialized thing. DS9 was way over, but I think, I don't know. I feel like modern audiences were hungry for serialized content and not just like, oh, everything's going to be at the same at the end. So my point is, is that... For the first two seasons, it's that. It's just like uh, Monster of the Week. And then I think it's in the third season, like towards the end, uh, something happens where they sort of like introduce like this is a thing that changes things and now we got to deal with this sort of in a serialized fashion. Uh, and then it goes one more season and it gets canceled. Mm. So they, I feel like they were just a little too late to that whole. And then they never made Star Trek again. <laughs> nope. No other Star Trek. Battlestar Galactica and DS... Not Battlestar Galactica. Uh, what was the other one? There was... Babylon 5? Babylon 5. Babylon 5 and DS9 were on at the same time. Yes. And Babylon 5 was serialized in the fact that the guy who run it, uh, wrote it, Jay, who becomes a comic book writer. Oh. Jay, Jay Michael Straczynski. Okay. Uh, eventually started writing really great comics in the, in the two thousands. One of the reasons I got back into comics, um, but he wrote all of Babylon five, apparently before mm -hmm. 
they started it. So the entire five seasons or however many seasons it is, is planned. Wow. I've never, I've never watched it, but I always thought that was, it's probably pretty good because I do like J. Michael Straczynski's stuff. There were some shenanigans, I recall, when that show, I mean, we didn't have an internet, so I don't know how we got our hands on shenanigans, but uh, <laughs> the the plot synopsis of Babylon 5 was suspiciously similar to the plot synopsis of Deep Space Nine, including a widowed uh, main character, his son, and dealing with that relationship on an abandoned space station or a reclaimed space station or whatever. I had always heard that it was DS9 that ripped Babylon 5 off. I, I know I said it the other way around, and I think that's the way like the Star Trek people wanted it to be perceived, but I, I also feel like you're right. Like st- Strong evidence that Deep Space Nine probably ripped off Babylon 5. And what I don't recall is if they really did much with the Cisco-Jake relationship, because they sort of painted it as you know, widowed father and then the relationship that they got to deal with uh, on the, like flung on the far side of the galaxy. And it always just seemed like Jake and, and the Ferengi kid were just causing trouble and it really wasn't a big deal. Maybe that changed later on. Jake's big story arc spoilers is that he doesn't want to join Starfleet and, and uh, you know, as a, as a father of Starfleet, he, uh, Captain Cisco struggles with that so there there is some stuff mm. okay whereas nog does want to go into starfleet as the first ferengi starfleet officer interesting and he has some trauma which results in his ptsd there's some good stuff in ds i've heard this adam and, and one day i might strongly consider watching some deep space nine i hear you have to get through about four seasons before it gets good uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think Worf shows up in the fourth season. So once, once Worf shows up, I think, I think you're good. Yeah. Doesn't seven of nine show up on that show too? I don't think so. Cause I'm Voyager, Voyager didn't start until I think the fourth or third season of DS nine. And then seven of nine doesn't show up on that show until like season three or something like that. As soon as the rating started tanking, they, they find a way to pique your interest. Yeah, let's throw a Borg on the ship. I once wrote a script uh, for DS9. Yeah? In which, yeah, cause, because back in the day, you used to be able to do uh, television stuff where they would, they would uh, you could write a TV show and they would send you the information of how to write for their show. Really? They would, you know, they would encourage that sort of thing. At least Star Trek was one of the shows that did that. So I, I mailed... Deep Space Nine, and they sent me back their guidelines, and I really? wrote a script. This is super interesting. I didn't know that this was a thing. I, I wonder if I still have the guidelines. Probably more interesting than the story I wrote. But uh, did they? Was it like this is how like this is how you write a script? This is how you indent and, or was yeah. it more like you can't kill Cisco? No, it was more like uh, you want to break. You want to put your script into five parts. You have your intro, and you have your four between right. uh, commercials, and the, this is kind of what should happen in each of these segments Sure, that gets you back to where you started. You can't do anything right. major, which I was like, screw that. So <laughs> in my story, the, uh, the Borg come to the DS nine and they, because they're so curious about the wormhole, they would just, they, they put a, uh, they put a, a Borg member on the, on the ship who is eventually going to like learn 
and kind of become one of the cast members. And, uh, and then seven of nine happened. So I came up with that. <laughs> now, did you write all five parts? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and honestly, I would love to find it. I'm sure it's absolutely terrible because I have trouble with filling up space. <laughs> so it was probably the most boring episode ever. Did, did you have like an A plot and a B plot and even potentially a C plot? Oh, I did not. I had an A plot. Oh, okay. The, the whole thing was the whole thing. I'm not, th- I wasn't that smart and I'm still not that smart. Okay. So it's like I, I had this one kernel of an idea and the whole thing was like stretching out that idea to fill out the entire space. Did they give you guidance of like part one needs to be seven pages, part two yeah. needs to be 12 pages or whatever? I believe so, yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's super interesting. I, I didn't know that they did that. That's cool. All right. Well, uh, one day Adam and I will do a table reading of his Deep Space Nine episode. <laughs> well, we, you have you have a script that we we're going to do a table reading of as well. Yeah, yeah one day. Do you, do you ever think you'll find that? I did. Uh, you did. I I didn't read it. I pulled it out of the bin that I was in, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't know where I put it, but it's around. It, it is around. After that conversation, I found it and I set it aside. Okay, so I'm putting this out there. We'll figure out how many characters there are in this script. And we're going to do a table read. And we'll do like a Patreon sort of thing where people can be like they can record their parts and we'll put it all together. Oh, my gosh. It's a lot of work. So we'll have to charge quite a lot for that. No way. But uh, I would be excited if we would just get the handful of people we need to record their lines. All right. So maybe we won't charge a lot. <laughs> uh, my my goofy, goofy 12, 14-page script, if that, was written for four people. So that should be pretty okay. easy. <laughs> so we just need two people. Yeah. I mean, it was written for four people. Never are there more than four people on the screen. So there might be six or seven characters. Okay. But I, I always, as I wrote that, I was like, well, somebody's got to like hold the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. Boys and girls? Is, is it a, what kind of a... We didn't have any women. Okay. So it's all boys. Yeah. So I don't know if what I did about Uhura or if she, like th- this is the original cast old. So I don't know if, oh my gosh. You know, I wrote it when I was like 15 or 16. So I might have to scrub it. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> probably very probably hopeful that there's not like unwoke things happening in it. I, I feel like there's not. I feel like I was like, oh, if my parents ever watch this, I don't want them to be like angry at me. Right. So I don't, I don't think there's like, I'll have to scrub it. <laughs> just yeah, leave it at yeah, that. Just, to be, just be on the safe side. <laughs> Anyhow. All right. Well, that's. The internet need not know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nobody will ever know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let's. I don't have anything else, Adam. Do you? No, sir. <laughs> I forget how to do this. Uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>